You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I want to talk to you for just a minute about High Sierra showerheads. I use them in my house because they're a water-efficient fixture, but I'm a big fan for other reasons as well, including their design and construction. They're made of solid metal. So this High Sierra showerhead I have in my hand right now, you can tell that it's a quality, well-made product, unlike the vast majority of showerheads, which involve a lot of plastic in their construction. And that's something we need less of, right? Less consumer products with plastic in them. The other awesome thing is their nozzle design. It's a unique patented nozzle that's not going to clog like so many other showerheads. The other thing about this nozzle is that it will work in low pressure. You'll still get a strong, powerful, but water-efficient shower. You can use promo code WATERLOOP for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. As a ocean lover myself, really first and foremost, I am so excited to be joined by Vipe Desai. He has started a nonprofit, Vote the Ocean, and he has a long list of great work on ocean and environmental issues, chairman of the board at the Ocean Institute, a campaign ambassador for Alta Sea at the Port of LA, uh, founding member of the Business Alliance for Protecting the Pacific Coast, and uh, has a podcast, Army of Game Changers, where he talks to a lot of influential folks. Vipe, I'm glad I could uh, get you on here. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it myself. Yeah. So um, why is the ocean such a big focus for you personally and professionally? Yeah, you know, um, I look back on my career and just uh, my personal life and journey and everything, and it has really provided for me. Um, you know, it's it's given me my the lifestyle that I want to live, but it's also given me an, an incredible career. I've made incredible friends as well throughout this journey. So really the ocean has been my collaborative partner in everything that's happened to me for family and personal and professional. So I, I feel as if I have an obligation to use my experience and everything that's happened along the way to be an advocate for it any way I can. Yeah. Um, and so you're in LA, Southern California area. Is that right? Yeah. Southern California. Okay, cool. Um, before we dive into some of these specific endeavors you've got going now, I want to go back to some of your background and experience in, you know, disruptive branding and cause marketing and action sports. And maybe you can kind of spend a few minutes talking to me about that background and kind of how that, that started you off and led to where you are now. Yeah, I think uh, it really started for me back in the early 90s. Um, I had just graduated from college and was looking for a job, and I loved surfing, so I was hoping that I'd find a job in the surf industry. Uh, that didn't pan out too well. We were just about to head into a recession. There was this looming war that was about to take place, Operation Desert Storm with Iraq, and I couldn't find anything in the surf industry, but a good friend of mine called me up and said, there's a surf shop for sale. You and I should buy it. What do you think? And it sounded like a crazy idea, which it was. But uh, lo and behold, we begged, borrowed, stole, you know, whatever we could and put, put, put everything together. And uh, a few months later, we ended up buying a surf shop. 
And it was my first real experience into the business world. Um, here I am, an owner of a surf shop and you know, finding my way throughout the industry, but also trying to discover my business acumen and everything. So I'm really winging it. There was really no skill set to rely upon. I had a degree. I thought that would be helpful, but it was really my passion. But I also had to become resourceful as well. Um, there was really nobody, you know, helping me out at that time. I just had to figure it out. And I think that was also a good thing. And I think that's what led, led to me being creative, but also building that disruptive mindset as well, that it's like, I don't really know how to do it, so let me just wing it. <laughs> and the way that I did it was disruptive, and it kind of went from there. But it was, it was fun. I learned a lot um, at the surf shop, and it was really my first encounter with ocean conservation when I met some folks from Surfrider Foundation. Uh, they came into my store, and it was just a local chapter, but that's how I first got introduced to ocean conservation, and from there, the journey just continued on. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Surfrider for sure. love those guys and everything they do. I'm curious about, because this is where you've kind of think merged things together, is how you use that disruptive marketing approach, cause marketing, disruptive branding, uh, you know, kind of the whole action sports lifestyle, charging it and, and feed that into like environmental causes. You know, what's, how, how does that work? Yeah. I, I think what happened where, where I learned this disruptive behavior was really from growing up in the action sports industry. I think it was very competitive and it was kind of like garage technology. Guys would tinker in their garage and they try and figure out ways to do things on the cheap and just be as disruptive and scrappy as they could with their competitive brands and everything. And I picked up on that, that it's like, look, you know, if you don't have the money, you got to figure out a way to do it. And that's really where the disruptive behavior comes from in the thinking as well, was that in the industry, you had to kind of fend for yourself. If there was like a, a you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, on the table, it's like you were fighting for it with like 40 other guys. So, you know, you had to get scrappy, but in a friendly way too, you know, it was, it was friendly competition. Um, but I really enjoyed that. It made me resourceful. It made me understand what I needed to do. And also thinking like, well, if everybody is doing this, what can I do differently? So I had to think out of the box. I had to think completely differently. And what I saw for myself was that all the surf shops in the area were doing the exact same thing over and over again. And for me, I started thinking, well, I don't really want to be a surf shop. I really want to be a brand. Mm -hmm. So what are the brands doing? And I started picking up on what the brands were doing. Well, the brands were sponsoring athletes and they were uh, you know, sponsoring and producing events and they were running ads. And, and in my mind, I was like, well, I can do that. Why can't I do that? What says I can't do that? So all of a sudden, we started sponsoring surfers and skateboarders and snowboarders, and we had this incredible lineup of athletes. And then we created an event as well, and that became our little uh, surf and uh, snowboard event that put us on the map. It ended up being on television, and we were just a small hole-in-the-wall <laughs> surf shop, but we became globally known because of that event. And all of a sudden, we became a brand. People would come into our store and they would be looking for our T-shirts and hats over everything else. So really, that was kind of like the first experiment into that disruptive thinking and behavior. And I just carried that on to every opportunity that I, that I got before me. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love that story. I think I'm going to uh, try to apply some of that to what I'm trying to do myself with this this podcast, even. That, that fires me up. Um, how do you take that mentality then and funnel it into environmental causes, especially the ocean? Yeah, I think what happens a lot of times, and I remember this from Surfrider Foundation when I was on the board, marketing really wasn't a priority. It was kind of like an afterthought because you asked for money and you held on to it for your programming. So you spent as little as you could on marketing. But when I joined the board, I found a really great thought partner at Surfrider Foundation. That was Matt McLean. He was the director of marketing and communication there. And I could see that he really wanted to uh, allow for more marketing efforts to take place. So I encouraged it. I, I helped feed that conversation in the boardroom and I encouraged it with Matt as well. And we found success in that the cause related marketing programs, you know, approaching a brand and instead of thinking about what's in it for you, thinking for with putting my agency hat on years after I had my surf shop, I had an agency. So I started thinking, well, what are brands looking for? They just don't want to give away money. They also need some sort of ROI. So if we can look at it in the way of, well, here's what we need, but here's what we have that we can also give to them. So once we looked at it that way, we really opened up some exciting cause-related marketing partnerships, whether it was with Toyota or Barefoot Wine or any of the brands in the action sports industry. Once we started looking at what are the assets that we have and, what, and how can we use those assets for brands that are looking for some cause-related marketing programs instead of just like, give us a donation and you, know, you can tell everybody that you made a donation and you know we'll throw up a high five to you the idea is well how do we become collaborative partners because we have a mission to fulfill and you have sales goals to fulfill so let's you know work together to make sure that we both get a win win out of this and that ended up being almost a million dollar cause related marketing effort that went from 0 to a million dollars plus yeah, that's awesome. What is it about like the action sports uh, that you know have an ability to influence culture so much, and then by extension, environmental causes? You know, whether it's protecting the waves or protecting the snow on the mountaintops or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think because the industry is inherently built around the outdoor space and natural resources, there's that connection to it. Right now, the connection really is between athletes because they spend so much time in that environment and they also rely on that environment for their livelihood and that lifestyle. So I love seeing athletes taking up that effort. There's so many great causes out there and athletes are now starting to become activists and advocates for the environment, but they're also pushing the brands and their sponsors to take more responsibility and get more involved too. So the retailers have a little bit of more work to do to catch up, but when the athletes and the brands realize collectively that without a healthy environment, they don't run a healthy business. Mm. So they've started to figure that out, and I think that's one thing that's important to connect, that it's not just protecting the environment, but it's also protecting our action sports economy, so to say, as well. So you know, I think that's now starting to take place. You, know, you protect our ocean. That means that people can recreate on the beach. 
That means that surf shops can sell items. People can come down to the beach and all these other things take place. And it's a, it's a coastal community at the end of the day. And we've seen with oil spills, what happens as soon as there's an oil spill, it impacts the entire community. It affects small mom and pop businesses, regardless of if they're action sports related, it's coffee shops, it's restaurants, it's hotels, everything. But it also affects jobs. And I think whenever we can tie it back to the economy and jobs, it takes on a much more serious tone. Yeah, that makes a, makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. Um, I've noticed, you know, in the past couple of years, even like the World Surf League has kind of really pushed their pure, their their pure thing, right? Where they're really doing the environmental piece there. And, um, kind of the ski snowboard community has that protect our winters, uh, environmental push. So you definitely see this stuff really moving to the forefront. Um, Let's get political here a little bit. <laughs> Dive into the politics. My favorite subject. Yeah, it's it's interesting <laughs> with you, you know, because you have like you're the action sports guy, been involved in all these these big brands and marketing. But then I I saw a video of you, you know, testifying in front of Congress with your suit. You looked good. Um, so you know, straddling these different, very different worlds, right? Um, yeah. Talk about vote the ocean. Yeah. Look, Vote the Ocean was something that I created several years ago for another nonprofit that I was working with and on the board of called Ocean Champions. And I, I'll tell you, a couple things have happened from the days of serving on the Surfrider Foundation board and all the other incredible organizations that I've worked with and continue to work with is that they've been on the grassroots side of their activism. It's either grassroots advocacy or it's education or science and research, which is great. But when the folks at Ocean Champions uh, uh, connected with me, I really didn't understand the political nature of how being involved in that process could really advance the environmental movement. And at first, I really didn't want to get involved in politics. I think a lot <laughs> of people are scared of politics because of the divisiveness. And even pre these current times and everything like that, it was always divisive in some way, shape or form. You know, it's like two things you don't talk about it. Thanksgiving, it's money and politics, right? Right. So it's the same thing that you know, I really didn't want to get involved. But as I was in the boardroom with Ocean Champions and I started to get more involved, I really started to realize that, gosh, this is something that is missing and I have to be part of. And this is my way in. And I want to learn more about how the political system works and what what can I do to foster that uh, movement and, you know, one of the things that I had heard along the way from my friends at Ocean Champions was that, you know, the environmental movement as a whole has really been uh, not as effective as it could be. And one of the reasons why is that if you look at the perfect system out there, and unfortunately, it's an ugly one, but if you look at the NRA, it is very effective. And the environmental movement and the ocean conservation movement doesn't have an NRA. So the NRA has a 501c3 arm to it, and it also has the political arm, which is the C4. So when you have the voters and the, the grassroots advocacy side, but you also have it connected to the political side where you can have um, an effect on the federal level with the electoral side and, and, and endorsing members of Congress, you're now able to shape craft policy. Okay, and that's one thing that was always problematic with the ocean conservation movement. There was these splintered groups working on grassroots advocacy, and that's great. 
they were doing incredible work, the research, the scientists and everything, but really there was no group focused on politics. And that's where Ocean Champions came in. They were a C4. We helped to elect over 100 people into the House and the Senate that now these grassroots advocacy groups could go to members up on the Hill and say, here are the types of policy that we would like to put forward. So that's when you started to see some of these policy conversations take shape because there were people up there that were elected from, from uh, because of uh, you know folks that cared about the ocean. So I look at real advocacy in the ocean space being a multi-pronged effort. It has to have the grassroots advocacy side. It has to have the political side connected to it, but it also has to have the business community involved too. Mm-hmm. It's a three-legged stool. And when all three of those things are in alignment, we can be a very powerful group. Makes a ton of sense. So w- vote the ocean. That That's your focus is really advancing candidates that, that are have favorable ocean policy or then getting to people that are already elected and saying, here's what we want with the ocean? No, that's not ours. Um, okay. With Vote the Ocean, we are a 501c3, so we okay. are a standard nonprofit. We can't get involved in political work. However, there are organizations out there that we are working with and encouraging other people to work with that do take care of that political advocacy work. We, you know, where we stop, they to pick up on all that stuff. So for us, what Vote the Ocean is, is it's a way to inspire people to take action for our ocean. And what I didn't want to do with Vote the Ocean is create another group that was doing the same thing that other organizations were doing. There are so many great organizations out there doing incredible work. Why should we get in their way, stepping on their toes or anything? So I really tried to find a way to do the things that other organizations weren't doing that would help them be more effective. So with Vote the Ocean, we're more about storytelling. We're more about collaboration, finding different groups and organizations to work with and find ways to get more people involved. So that's one of the reasons why I started the Rising Tide Summit. Well, let's create a summit and a way for people to come together of all different organizations, businesses, policy, funding, um, grassroots organizations, education and researchers. And let's put these people together. Let's have these open dialogues of how can we work together and what are the solutions that we need? So really, it was a way to bring people together and foster dialogue. We're also working on uh, other initiatives as well. We have a children's book coming out. Let's start with children. You know, it's like, let's put something out there. I'm a a father of a nine-year-old and I see how, uh, how when I speak with him about the environment, how much it shapes his care for the ocean and the environment. So we're, we're launching a children's book here in the next couple of months, um, And right now, one of the big things that we're working on is we've teamed up with our friends at the Environmental Voter Project. It's an incredible organization that has discovered that, you know, it's not just getting people to vote, but it's getting them to pledge that they could they will vote and then encouraging them with gentle reminders that they need to get ready to vote. So once they take the pledge, they start getting these really gentle nudges of thank you for taking the pledge. Have you saved the date? Are you taking the day off? Have you registered to vote? Are you going with anybody? You know, so that's one way of getting people active in the political process. And once they become voters, now they can help shape policy because now they can affect 
um, who they get, who, uh, who is elected in their local communities and in their districts and everything. So we have several different initiatives that we are uh, pushing for that help the entire environmental movement and the ocean conservation movement as a whole. We're all about bringing people together, collaborating together, and getting more people involved with it as well. I love the point you made there about, hey, there's a lot of groups out there doing X and Y and Z. I always notice that with the environmental field, right? There's there's so many groups doing things where they seem like they're on parallel tracks and you don't need to start another one. You got to find your find your niche and, and bring people together. Um, I, have, I have a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, so I totally get you on that. Um, they, they roll their eyes at me often when I start talking about water or, you know, uh, they it soaks in. They, they learn a lot. They're smart kids, but they also like to make fun of me and how much I talk about the stuff too. So um, uh, They'll yeah. come around. The, oh, Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I want to ask about ocean policy a little bit. You know, what are a couple things uh, when it comes to ocean policy that are that you think should change? Um, a couple. You know, there, there's so much, right? Especially right now under this administration, um, whereas the Obama administration did a lot of good things for the ocean. What are a couple things that that are priorities to you? Yeah. You, you know, I'm not an expert in policy, mm. I would say, because there are people who are much better at that topic than I am. But here's what I will say is giving them credit is that there are experts out there who understand the types of policies we need in order to conserve and protect our ocean. I think the big thing that I see is going back to what I said a moment ago is we need to get more people involved in the political process, because when people vote, we now have a voice. And if you look and see what happened between 2016 and 2020 right now, look at, what, look at what's happened with climate change. Climate change has moved up the concern of voters. And that's because there are more people talking about it and advocating for it and also registering to vote because the climate is important. So when people start to register to vote, they start to talk about it politicians listen to that. And that's why you see it so much higher up on the uh, agenda of, uh, of politicians out there. Most of the folks that I deal with, whether they're congressional leaders or senators, they're talking about ocean policy in some way, shape or form. So I think the grassroots environmental groups are doing a great job of keeping our elected leaders informed of what policies we need, whether it's ways to reduce plastic pollution, marine protected areas, um, illegal fishing, uh, and you know, there's a host of things that we need to do. But really, what I see as an important thing is getting more voters involved in the political process because that's the muscle that the politicians need. And if we can give them that muscle, then when uh, grassroots organizations go up to DC to advocate for policy, they'll know that they are coming up. They're representing hundreds and thousands, and if not millions, of voters as well. Yeah, they've got that great weight behind them. They they need absolutely um, a couple buckets that you've you've mentioned uh, business, and I know this is something that you've been involved with a bit with the the Business Alliance for Protecting the Pacific Coast. Could you talk a little bit about you know the importance of having businesses behind environmental causes, behind ocean causes? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's something that I got involved in about two and a half, three years ago. The folks at Oceana and Surfrider Foundation put together a group of businesses, and we sat around saying that you know they they sat around and they shared with us that 
if if the business community could come together, we could have major inroads with political organizations and also with leaders who are working on policy. I thought it was a great idea. We started to put things into place and everything. And within about a year and a half to two years, we had amassed 7,500 businesses between California, Oregon, and Washington who had said that they were against offshore oil drilling because if there were an oil spill, one, it would detrimentally hurt coastal communities. Mm. So they wanted to get behind that. And they said, look, we don't want this to happen with any business. I mean, could you imagine businesses that are competing with each other are saying, you know what, we don't want offshore oil and gas drilling because we know that if there is some sort of spill, it will affect our business. So what's happening now, and you're starting to see it a lot more, is that businesses realize that the environment can have a detrimental effect on their business. We're already seeing it in other areas. If there's fires, there's, there's floods, there hurt, there's hurricanes, hmm. the pandemic, all these things that are outside of our control can have a negative effect on the economy and jobs and everything. So businesses have, has, have realized that why put one more questionable barrier up for our business and our community? Let's fight to protect as much as we can to keep our natural resources as clean and open as possible. So it was an easy message to get across with our business alliance, but generally businesses are coming around. Let's protect our environment because when we protect our environment, we're protecting the economy and we're protecting jobs. And a lot of businesses are starting to realize that and have embraced that thinking. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about a powerful voice with the elected officials, right? The business community has carries tremendous weight, obviously. And so if they are also behind the ocean and these other environmental causes, that's a that's a big plus for sure. Um, and hurricanes. So I live in coastal North Carolina, um, Wilmington, North Carolina, and we've we are on the lookout constantly, and when those storms come, they're getting stronger because of climate change. You know, they're they're devastating to the economy for sure. Uh, the other big bucket I wanted to ask about was education. Uh, you know, you're involved with the the Ocean Institute, chairman of the board there. Uh, you've mentioned you know having a nine year old and the importance of educating kids. So I just wanted to hear about your your thoughts around education and, and the ocean and just how that's such a critical piece of the pie. Yeah. Equally as important to getting more people to vote in our elections is education in my mind. Um, I look at my own story growing up. Uh, I was a kid that grew up in inner city LA, away from the ocean, uh, never been to the ocean, hadn't been near it or anything. I don't even think I remember seeing a photo of the ocean at all. But I lived in a pretty tough community where things could go wrong at any moment. Um, but a school oceanography field trip put me on a boat and introduced me to the ocean in elementary school. And that moment stuck with me. It really just blew my mind and it really opened up everything like a whole new world to me. And it inspired me. I kept drawing images of what I saw at the uh, beach and the ocean that day. And funny thing is, that as the story continues, is that uh, my parents saw that you know I was getting this affinity for the ocean, and I kept asking them to take me to the beach. But because <laughs> they couldn't swim and they didn't want to go to the beach, you know, they thought the next best thing would be to take me to the movies to go see the movie Jaws. <laughs> and you know that uh, had an absolute negative effect. Uh, I never wanted to go back in the ocean again. <laughs> I mean, for me, I thought there was just cute little things in the ocean. And what, what is a shark doing in there that can eat a boat and eat people? So I was scared to death of ever going back in the ocean. 
Um, but look, um, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to get back into the groove of things. And unfortunately, one of the things that happened at my school was there was a school shooting. And that prompted my parents to make a move. And we moved closer to the beach. And I made a whole new slew of friends and everything. And the new uh, group of friends that I made were all getting into surfing. And they invited me to join in. And once again, I reconnected with the ocean from that first moment of putting my foot in the water. And from that point on, I was hooked. So when I think about education and the importance about it is that we have to get more children to understand what the ocean is, how important it is to not only our life, even though you don't live anywhere near it, um, hmm. you know, we have to help children understand how important the environment is, how the, how important the ocean is. And for me, as many children as we can introduce to that, if we can be their first on-ramp at the Ocean Institute, as we have been in the past, pre, pre-COVID-19, uh, we were uh, welcoming about 120,000 children to the Ocean Institute annually. Majority of those children were inner city children who had never laid eyes on the ocean. So we are their first introduction to it. So I look at us as being an on-ramp, okay? And that on-ramp should continue that journey for these children at every opportunity they can get. If they want to become a marine biologist, we don't want it to stop at any point. We want that journey to continue. If they want to become an oceanographer or an entrepreneur and they saw something at the ocean that inspired them to start a business to you know, want to fund initiatives or protect it or something, we want that inspiration to come out of us at the Ocean Institute. So that's why I look at education as a big thing. The children's book, anytime we can get kids together, have this conversation around the ocean, I think it's a win-win. Yeah, I, I love so many of the different things you said there. Um, definitely let me know when that children's book comes out. I'd love to love to take a look at that. Um, you know, for me, I remember a, a middle school field trip where they took us to the Chesapeake Bay, actually, and they took us out at night on like a moonlit canoe ride through this waterway. And there was like birds and the moon and the cattails. And it was like a transformative moment for me with just like the water. Uh, and I went on later in my life to work on the Chesapeake Bay restoration and all that stuff. So, you know, those 120,000 kids that have never been to the ocean, um, that's a, so many of them, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And you are changing lives with that, you know, that's, that's good stuff. Got to get some of them on surfboards, right? That's a, Absolutely. That, that'll really take it off. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I appreciate the time a ton. Uh, so many great, great things going on so much to follow up on here, uh, in the future, but yeah, I appreciate it so much. No, thanks for inviting me to share, uh, my, my experience and everything that I've gone through. I hope, uh, you know, somebody, people out there find value in it for sure. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. The Waterloop podcast is brought to you by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart and stylish way to save water, energy, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code Waterloop for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop.